Friends, would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, as we turn to the Gospel of John, our scripture reading from the lectionary today, we're going to do a little bit of Bible study back and forth as we read it, because it makes the most sense in context. So from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival, there were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now I don't know if you've ever stood in the pulpit in our chapel, but there's a plaque right in front of the lectern where it says those words, Sir, we wish to see Jesus, to remind everybody who's speaking that day, their job is to show Jesus to the congregation. And what's happening here as these Greeks come and ask to see Jesus is a turning point in this whole gospel. There's the before this moment and after this moment. Some scholars call the first half of the Gospel of John the Book of Signs, and the second half the Book of Glory. And as these people come to look for Jesus, as these Greeks come, this is a huge shift and turning point, and it's a signal to Jesus that this time has come. So if we back up a little bit more, and this is confusing, because next week is Palm Sunday, but this passage falls right after the Palm Sunday reading of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So imagine Jesus had been with his friend Lazarus and the sisters, Martha and Mary. He'd been at their, been at their house in Bethany. He loved them. They were his dear, dear friends. And Lazarus was the one whom he had raised from the dead. That was one of the signs in the Book of Signs. So the people have heard this. It said just before, that they were just the rumors were flying around and everybody was coming to find out what had happened. They were talking about Jesus and he's raised Lazarus and he was dead and then he called him to come out of the tomb and he came out. So this is a crush of people who were already coming into Jerusalem for the festival. And now word has spread of this miracle and people want to see Jesus. They want to find him. And they're shouting, Hosanna, save us or save now. In their desperation, they want what Lazarus had. They want to be saved. Imagine the agony and the hurt and the pain that they felt. They weren't coming out of curiosity. They were coming in great need to be saved by this healer, by this savior. So among those who went up to worship at the festival, so among those in these crowds are Greeks. So Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's as these outsiders come to Jesus that we know that it's time for this whole mission to be expanded. So what he says is, the hour has come for him to be glorified. And it says this word, it says this word glorified 
almost 50 times in this gospel. Glorified, glorified, glorified. And you'll hear it again in the rest of this passage that I'm going to read. The word is doxa in Greek. Almost 50 times, and then again and again the refrain, lifted up and exalted. David showed the children many crosses and told them that the cross in the Gospel of John is lifting Jesus up, not a means of suffering and casting him down in humiliation, but the way in which Jesus is going to be glorified and lifted up is on the cross. So Jesus says, very truly I tell you, or amen, amen, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? Now it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. Does this remind you of the baptism story? This voice booming from heaven. And this time what God says is, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it. And they said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Jesus already knew this, right? Jesus already knows this is how he's going to be lifted up and glorified. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and the understanding of this holy word. So lifted up and glorified. There's a, a pun in the Greek that these words mean the same thing, but this is the way Jesus is lifted up like a stalk of wheat that even though it has appeared to die in the ground, if it hadn't gone through that process of dying to one reality, it wouldn't be able to put down roots and shoot up and grow and bear the fruit that Jesus is called to bear. And it's in this magnetized Jesus, Jesus on the cross, drawing all people to himself that we see in these images of Christus Victor, Christ with the outstretched open arms to welcome us in. So Jesus is inviting us from the cross to see a wider spiritual dimension, a wider reality. We might focus on the dying wheat on the ground and miss what God has in store, miss God's plan. Jesus is inviting us into this spiritual realm, this spiritual reality, teaching us how to see with new vision, new eyes, how it is that God really works in the world. What we see on our earthly plane is not all that there is. 
And having faith, believing that, trusting that, is how we have eternal life, because it's already there. It's already offered to us. We're just invited to live into it. We have so many misunderstandings and misconceptions about what it means to believe in Jesus and have faith. If you missed David's sermon from last week, I watched it two more times. It's, it was exactly what I needed to hear, and I imagine exactly what many of you needed to hear, so I'm going to quote him, if that's okay. Our resident theologian. What David said was, faith is not subscribing to an established doctrine or set of ideas or beliefs or proposals about God. That's not faith in the Bible. Faith is a trusting relationship with God. Trusting that God is with you, for you, loves you, creates you, sustains you, and secures you. Faith is not an intellectual assent to a set of propositions. It is a lived experience of the presence of God in your life. That Jesus is aware of you. That God loves you. Living in the conscious understanding of that reality is to be saved. So our place in God's tabernacle, this fort that God has made, this sky, where we are all gathered, all welcomed, all included in God's love, living in that conscious reality is our call as people of faith. What we have done with this text and with our call to be Christians has turned out, especially in America, to be so incredibly backward when we use the next text, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only child so that all who believe in him might not perish but might have eternal life. We've used this to create yet another division of who's in and who's out. Do you believe that? And if so, you have your ticket to eternal life, and if you don't, you are out. But at this moment, this turning point in the Gospel of John, it's when the outsiders come in that Jesus knows his time has come. Because his, time, his mission is to remove all of these barriers, all of the labels that we use to separate ourselves from each other. That's the real lie. That's the real myth. That's the real fallacy that we live with. Living in the kingdom of God, our true identity as Christians is to understand that we live in this realm as beloved children of God with everyone else. So the myth of white supremacy. This lie that I hate to say has its roots in this false version of Christianity. We talk about it a lot, but it's because we can't not talk about it. After the killing of eight people in Atlanta this past week, six of them women of Asian descent, this horrific hate crime, which intersects gender and sexuality and race and re-traumatizes people. This is an act of hate, it's an act of terror, it's a religious terrorist act. And then the way the news portrays it, because it's a young white man who got a gun that day and shot people, it is said that he had a bad day. 
If he were any other race, we know that is not the way the story would have begun to be told. And his word that it wasn't a hate crime, it was to remove temptation, which is also sickening that women are responsible for men's thoughts, that victims are responsible for their trauma. Another layer, but that it would be taken at face value, oh, it wasn't a hate crime because he said it wasn't a hate crime. It's been a really hard week in this country, again, especially for people of Asian descent, especially for women, especially for mothers, especially with anyone who has understanding and compassion to imagine what it must feel like to be afraid for your life and the lives of your family. And the Black Lives Matter movement has rallied around the Asian community in a beautiful way in the last week, and that's to be commended the way they've been working together, marching and getting in line behind the Asian American activists and responding to them, Asian Lives Matter, proud to be Asian. We are united. We are America. Asian Americans have been saying for a year that they have been increasingly targeted in hate crimes since the pandemic. That they have been blamed for the virus, which started accidentally in a country many have never even been to. Disturbingly, many of the crimes are against elders. Our own superintendent of schools, Mike Cummings, has emailed the parents of school children public school system every single Monday through Friday since the pandemic started to let us know what the hours have been. And last year when he began his position, he wrote a very moving letter about his commitment to be anti-racist. And this past week, he reiterated some of his commitment. And I want to read some of this letter to you. He wrote, this past summer in the wake of national demonstrations and conversations about racism, I was confronted with my own anger, shame, own personal anger, shame, and fear about the long history of racism in our country. I committed to addressing the issues within our school system and leading us to be part of the solution. Since then, our equity work has begun in earnest and continues to be an integral part of our planning and action. He goes on to say, we commit to being anti-racist in our expectations and actions. We commit to being a part of a community dialogue that confronts the issues that drive us apart so that we may heal as one. We commit above all to listening. The letter was so powerful. And I commend Superintendent Cummings for writing it, but unfortunately, if you would turn to our local town newspaper, you would find a lot of pushback and dissent. An op-ed with hateful comments in the following it. I don't want to read that letter to you or give it that much time. But I do want you to know that I saw very many church members respond to that letter with a message of love. Our role as Christians is to shout down the people who are too afraid to look at our history. One of the church members said, what are we afraid of when we look at our history? We need to know the truth, and the truth will make us free. That was Rita Scott, one of our deacons. 
I don't believe the church should be engaging in culture wars, but this is a gospel matter. If we are trying to believe in Jesus, it means that we are trying to live into this reality Jesus shows us as he is lifted up on the cross, and as he knows his time has come when people from all nations, insiders and outsiders, are gathered together. I commend to you this book, Do Better, Spiritual Activism for Healing, Fighting and Healing from White Supremacy by Rachel Ricketts. And some of her language is so similar to what Mike Cummings has said because this is soul work. And when you do this work, this is what you understand. It's disconnect that white supremacy brings to us and everyone suffers from it. This is what she writes. No matter who you are or where you come from, that's echoing today. Committing to authentic racial justice requires an upheaval and a questioning of everything you once knew. Be about it yourself, be it about yourself, others, or the world. We need to dismantle these myths that we tell ourselves. She writes, for white people and other oppressors, it often results in feeling as though the floor is falling out from beneath their feet. Nothing is what they once believed it to be, whether that belief was a form of willful ignorance or not. When we engage in racial justice, it is an investment in witnessing the world beyond the white supremacist status quo that has been carefully curated by those with the most power and privilege to keep them powerful and privileged to the detriment and exclusion of all else. She writes, this is an awakening of our hearts and minds to the racial reality and confronting all of the ways we have harmed or been harmed within it. She says we must face our actions, our privileges, our beliefs, and our emotions. This is the soul work. And what she promises, the, real, the reason this is spiritual activism, and that so many spiritual leaders come to the knowledge that we are all united is that this is the dismantling of disconnection. Sin is separation. Sin is turning your back on God. And we are always invited to turn around and come back into connection with God and with one another. I've been wrestling with how Christianity got here, when this is our Savior, who came to show us this kind of self-giving love that would go with us into the most painful moments in our lives. Paul writes, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So let's believe in that Jesus, let's trust in that Jesus, let's have a relationship with that Jesus, which calls us into unity and connection with each other. Let's seek that knowledge of the love of God the awareness of that spiritual reality of Jesus Christ lifted up on a cross 